This is the Janet Killeen Books Podcast. I'm reading a story called Within the Circle of a Year. This story won the David Lodge Prize in a competition organised by the National Association of Writers' Groups and was published in their anthology, The Right Path. Within the Circle of a Year Always in July, parents' evening. It's routine bringing to an end the cycle of the year. We would wait at tables in the main hall with our collection of books and records, and the girls would bring their parents forward, or parents would draw reluctant daughters after them, to sit for ten minutes or so with each teacher to review their progress. That first year of secondary school. A time of reflection, reproof, reward, whatever. Under a hot, close ceiling, seated at a sticky table. Everyone, children and teachers alike, too tired to focus. Certainly too weary of the year that had passed to look ahead to the next. A steady procession. The successful, squirming with praise. The naughty, promising amendment the frightened, shuddering in case you'd told the truth, parents primly inquiring, embarrassingly loud, laughing, threatening, indifferent. You learn to read them and adjust your words, holding the child in your eye's corner as you spoke. A familiar yearly ritual, too familiar perhaps, predictable. But that year, Towards half-past seven, the twins arrived without appointment, Layla and Aisha. Neat hijabs in the school blue and navy trousers and uniform. Hard to tell them apart even now, after three terms. I look up at them as they stand beside their mother, and under the formal words of my greeting, I'm thinking, what do I say? How do we reach across this table's barrier to one another. I remember vividly their first day at school. Twenty-eight new pupils, twenty-eight pairs of eyes that follow you as you enter the classroom. For a few hours the class is docile, so smart, so obedient, uniform in their responses and uncertainty as you introduce them to their timetable to their homework record books. They learn your name and write their own on labels, which they decorate and pin to their blouses. You begin to recognise them, the eager, answer-the-question ones, the little signs of rebellion that are tweaking at the edges, the restless ones, the potential bullies, the potential victims. And there, in the back corner, were the twins, thin and angular, poised like runners for a race that has not yet been announced. Refugees from a North African country, so the class briefing had told me. They had been here for nearly five years, and although fluent in English, had made little progress at primary school. As the days passed, it became obvious why. 
they lived in an intensity of twinship. Something was constantly flowing between them, moving like tilted oil in a spirit level, a wordless, charged exchange of thought. As they became more confident, it found expression in a kind of disobedience, almost, you would call it naughtiness, mischief, except it had no humour, no reciprocity between you and them that could make it endearing. Homework was rarely done, and in class there was a sense of distraction, a shrugged indifference to questions or challenge. Sometimes there was an excitable exchange of chatter and movement that was sparrow-like in its flurry and restlessness, as if there were a desperate desire for flight. Even when their bodies were still, their eyes skated on the surface of things, their thoughts tied tightly together, but disconnected utterly from the activity of the class. Challenged, they smiled. Yes, miss, and sometimes sorry, miss. Smiles that had no light behind them. Their only light was inward and exclusive. All the usual strategies of reprimand failed. Letters were sent home and interviews requested, but no one came. They said, when questioned, no one reads English, miss, and phone calls were not answered. There was no one at home when we visited. It was as if they existed in another world, a space, an emptiness, from which they emerged each day smart in blue and navy, modest and subdued. Then, as the day uncurled, they grew wings like dragonflies, darting over the surface of the pool of our strange and vapid routines, zigzagging above its tedium, their lives closed and indifferent to us. It could be defiance, but there was never rudeness or insolence, just a retreat from us, and then another burst of life, expressed in skittering eyes or in murmurs that, as I look back, were frantic in their intensity, breaking into wild, scything sweeps of running and chasing as soon as they were released from the classroom. But now, at the close of the year, we had reached parents' evening, and after all our fruitless efforts to make contact, they had brought their mother, and with her, a tall woman the girls called Auntie. It might have held the elements of comedy if I had known their language. The girls took turns to translate. I am very concerned, I said, struggling to be careful, to cross the boundaries of culture with respect and keep an awareness of the mystery of these girls and what might be the truth of their home life. Very concerned that Aisha and Layla find it difficult to concentrate on their work. The girls translated. The mother, sitting between her daughters, smiled with pleasure, as though I were telling her of their diligence and success. She patted them both on their thin hands. I'm sure you want them to succeed, I said, knowing already that this was diverging far, far away from shared understanding. I laboured on. They do need to pay careful attention in class and do regular homework. I pulled out their homework diaries from the pile to show the blank pages. I pointed to the importance of the teacher's comments on their reports. 
the girls chattered to their mother, and she, proud and pleased, gently pinched Aisha's cheek and stroked Layla's hand. The girls stood beside her, and I looked up at them, and I saw, at last, the hidden terror in their eyes. The light was gone from them, leaving them dull, motionless, their faces greying beneath the brown skin. I saw the tired mother so bowed and grateful, glad that her children were succeeding in this strange land, whose language she might never learn. And then I turned to the rigid figure of their aunt, who stood behind them. She moved across and placed a hand on each girl's shoulder. I saw her face very strong, smooth, as though neither laughter nor sorrow could touch it and her eyes were obsidian black, harsh, sharp. She took control, speaking to the girls, indicating that they must explain to me. Auntie says, Layla translated, Auntie says we are going back with her to our own country. There is peace there now, we may visit. She does not want us to forget who we are. We will be there for the summer, and then return. The mother bowed her head. The girls sat still and silent. We waited. A strange hollow of quiet amidst the burr of voices in the hall. I spoke the expected words of goodwill. Well, I hope you have a very special time visiting your home country. Perhaps there are relatives there. We will look forward to hearing about your visit when we see you in September. Then I rose to thank the mother for coming and say goodbye to the girls, and I smiled politely at the unresponsive aunt. I watched them as they went away. In September their class had a new tutor. I had taken up other responsibilities, and I did not teach the group, though I saw the girls sometimes around the school and smiled and said, Hello, and how are you getting on? to the ones that stopped to say, Hello, miss. It was some weeks before I saw her, Layla, alone. She stood apart from the girls that circled and chattered through lunch break. She was near the steps, her hand on the rail, as if waiting, as if lost. Layla, it's nice to see you, I said, and stumbled on. Where's Aisha? She's dead, miss she answered, her eyes fixed on the ground. I waited, helpless, wordless. We went back with Auntie. Aisha got sick from it, the cutting, the pain. I tried to die too, but I could not go with her. I had to come back. To come back. To come back here to this grey and comfortless land, to come back here alone. And then I realised what they meant, those circling flights of frantic beating wings, and that now there would be no more. There would be no more dances to keep at bay the inevitable terror, no elusive, private, sustaining language of sisterhood. I stood beside her, no longer blind, to what I had not seen. This ancient anguish, this 
thraldom, this desecration of girls and women. A lifetime's loneliness and pain and loss huddled on childhood's back. All of life's betrayals and illicit secrets manifested in those weeks of torment. Already she was far older than I could ever be, in suffering, in dread, in grief. She stood apart, ageless now, and unreachable. Within the Circle of a Year was read by the author Janet Killeen and produced by Duncan P.B. More information about the opportunities the National Association of Writers Groups gives to writers can be found on their website. For more stories, please subscribe on iTunes or from wherever you get your podcasts.